Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the 23rd of January, 2024. It's Tuesday. No, it's Tuesday. Good Lord. Anyway, welcome to the program. I'm Derek Hunter. This is The Derek Hunter Show. Appreciate you listening, sharing, downloading, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Boy, howdy. Appreciate the heck out of that. Appreciate even more the people who go to patreon.com slash Podcast or derekhunter.locals.com. Sign up to support the show. Get extra content and all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, five bucks a month is all we ask. So thank you. We'll take more. We'll take more. But five bucks a month is uh, is much, much appreciated. Um, I'm going to announce the winner of the assigned book at the end of the program. So stick around for that. And then I'll announce the new book for this week, the new autographed book. So you just got to stick around or fast forward to the, you know, stick around to the end. I haven't gotten complaints. The show's gotten too long. Show's too long. I'll see what I can. I'll try and cut it. I try and, I like to keep it around. I prefer ideally an hour. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, yeah, it hasn't fallen on deaf ears because some people are like, I love it. There's more. And then other days when I do just a half an hour, like, oh, what happened to the rest? So I don't know. You can't please everybody all the time. I'll just put it to you this way. I'll do just enough show. I'll do just enough for whatever the news of the day is. I'll do just enough show. That's my promise, my pledge to you. However much show that is will fluctuate based on the day. But I appreciate it. And let us get started so we can get the hell out of here. huh? The big news from uh, over the weekend is that Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida dropped out of the presidential race. It's not... It's not a complete shock. It didn't go well. I tell you, and I've always told you, demanding or not demanding, but drawing your line in the sand in Iowa as a Republican is wildly stupid and counterproductive. You're going to lose. It's not going to work out for you, no matter what. Ask past Iowa winners, Mike Huckabee, uh, Rick Santorum, Ted Cruz, you name it. And they've all won. The winners on the Republican side in Iowa is a nice pile of people who've lost. Who've lost, who ended up not getting the nomination. And the few people who did, I think the only person to ever have won Iowa and the nomination was George W. Bush in 2000. I think that's it. I can't, I'm thinking back. I can't remember. Now, in Democrats, it's different. There's a lot more people who have won Iowa and gone on to get the nomination, but for the Republicans, that's it. It just doesn't work out for them. So you sit there and you go, why would you put all your eggs in the Iowa basket? Well, because Nikki Haley was going for New Hampshire. I don't know, maybe Ron DeSantis. for See, New Hampshire is a live free or die state. They've chosen to die a lot more recently than live free, but this is a Republican primary. You know, it's an open primary. And, uh, you know, that means Democrats, anybody can vote in it. There's no real Democratic primary. You just have to declare yourself independent, I think, technically, to get into the Republican primary. But the people who vote in New Hampshire are more liberty-minded, more libertarian, the people who show up for the Republican thing. 
And maybe Ron DeSantis didn't have much confidence that his message would resonate with those people. I don't get it. I think it would have resonated more than in Iowa, where you have to sort of prostitute yourself into being for ethanol subsidies. I don't. I never understood that. But that's the world that we live in. <clears throat> He's out. We'll find out very soon whether or not Nikki Haley survives. But the polling that I've seen that takes into it now, this quick, I'm always skeptical of all polling now, mostly because all polling sucks. But the polling that has been done, like the, the last minute, the snap polls, you should be very specific. Unless it's like, did you watch this thing? What'd you think of it? It was good or bad? Those sorts of things you can, because you weed out who watched it and who didn't watch it. The, uh, where are you going to go now? Or what will it mean if you do? People haven't had time to digest the DeSantis dropping out. So he dropped out yesterday afternoon. So they did quick polling and they said that Trump gets 17 points or something of, of new supporters up by 17 more points because DeSantis supporters went to him. I'm not really sure. Like I say, you can't trust it. It's too soon. We'll know soon enough. But I suspect that we're looking at the last hurrah of Nikki Haley, too. And what I would warn Donald Trump supporters for about Ron DeSantis supporters is ultimately, as you want everybody to unite together, and more than likely most people will. But you can jackass yourself out of a degree of support. A degree of support. The degree is, you know, the amount, the fervency of support. You need these people to be enthusiastic about Donald Trump. There's going to be adjustment, an adjustment period. The people who are for Ron DeSantis are very much for Ron DeSantis. The people who are for uh, Nikki Haley, if and when she drops out, are going to need a couple of days or a week to just, you know, get used to the idea that what they had worked for, what they had hoped for, isn't going to happen. It's pretty simple. It's pretty basic. It's common sense, but in this world of immediacy, in this world where everything is, you know, people get mad. There's a great Louis C.K. bit about somebody getting mad at their phone because they sent a text message and it was, they're waiting for a text message to come through. And it's like the immediacy of it. And it's like, dude, it has to go out to space and it has to come back down. It's going to take like 10 seconds. Relax, calm down. We don't have that patience anymore. And we also have this weird part of society that being a complete jackass is rewarded with social capital in this country now. It really is. It's like, oh, yay. Uh, you, it's just get attention. Just I touched on this last week. You just get attention. And it doesn't matter what kind of attention. It doesn't matter the type or the degree or any kind of attention is good. And so you get people who are like, well, good, I can be a complete jackass. I can be a great, I can go in your face. I can be, and you end up being counterproductive because you can turn somebody off. Now, people might come back around or reluctantly vote for your guy, but that's not what you need in this situation in a race that this, that's this close, in a race that's going to come down to, what was it, eight counties or something across a few states. It is, you need everybody. And as enthusiastic as you can get them, you don't have room to play a prevent defense. You don't have the, the luxury of taking it easy. 
You have to go full bore all the time, period, end of story. And if you don't, you run risk of losing. Look at what the Democrats did last time. Now, it's a little bit different with the COVID rules. Some of them are gone. Some of them are not gone. But in the places where they're not gone, people are going to be voting by mail. The turnout is going to be exceedingly high. I think it's important if Donald Trump is going to be the nominee and Donald Trump is going to win, which I support, it would be important and very, very important if Donald Trump could win with a majority of the popular vote. It would be. You sit there and you hear all these people going, well, the Republicans have only won the popular vote one time since when they go back to 1980, 1992. They, they skipped 80, 84, 88, and they go, since 1992. Yeah, there was a three-way race. And if you look at it, well, Republicans have only won a popular vote one time. One time they only won a majority, a majority of the popular vote. Majority, majority, majority. Democrats have only won a majority of the popular vote three times in that time. Bill Clinton never won a majority of the popular vote. He didn't. The closest he came was 49%, 49 and change, in 1996. He did not get a a majority of the popular vote. They always have to look at what they're saying and and in context. And they'll point out one side and they go, well, what about you guys? What, What about us? Why are you looking at us? And it's true that the Republicans have not won a majority in the popular vote. Majority of the popular vote is also irrelevant when it comes to the presidency, but it would be nice and it would help with some political capital to have that notch in your belt. And you're not going to get it by turning off your own voters. Even if they show up to vote for you, you need them to talk to their friends. You need them to talk to their neighbors, to talk to people to post on social media. Not in a way that turns people off, but in a way that says, okay, it's safe to do this. Because that person is not going to be, if they were a a DeSantis supporter or they were a uh, Haley supporter, some people will become as fervent a supporter of Donald Trump as they were the other candidates, but most people won't be. And they tend, people tend to run in packs. People tend to deal with like-minded individuals. And so you can have a DeSantis supporter or a Haley supporter say publicly or on social media, I'm going to vote for Donald Trump. I'm going to do this and here's why. And make a reasoned case. And they can make it comfortable. I don't, I don't want to use the word safe, but this, safe would be kind of a word you could use. Make it comfortable for other people who are not Trump fans, but aren't Biden fans either, to go, you know what, if, if Joe's going to vote for him, I guess I can. Or it's okay. Maybe he's not, as, it's all right then. You kind of make it okay. It seems weird, seems bizarre. You sit there and you go, what kind of adults need this sort of hand-holding, etc., etc.? And it's all true. It's weird. And it shouldn't be. But it is. And you can't govern for the way it should be or in the world the way it should be. You have to govern. You have to campaign. You have to exist in the way the world is. And the way the world is is this stuff matters. So, yeah, you can have your moment. You can do your little end zone dance. 
But if you watch football over the weekend, yeah, they sell. Somebody got a touchdown. They dance. They celebrate in your face. They run over somebody. Whatever, and they celebrate. And then at the end of the game, what are they doing? They're shaking hands. They're giving each other hugs. They're congratulating each other. The losers are wishing the winners well. The winners are saying, "Man, good job, good game, tough game, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. On occasion, they fight, but not very often, because it's over at that point, and they recognize that they're all football players. Well, at a certain point, you have to recognize that you're all Republicans. And the ultimate goal would have been, you know, boy, I'd like to be president, or I'd like my candidate to be president. But realistically, the ultimate goal is to make sure that Joe Biden is no longer president. That's why I I used to like Jonah Goldberg when he was at National Review. Now he's gone to, uh, he started the dispatch. He's got a billionaire patron. One time we were talking and he gave, I said, man, it would be nice to have a billionaire patron. He said, oh, I have one. It's great. It flew me to Spain for bullfighting contests and everything on his private chat. It was awesome. Like, congratulations. Congratulations. You. It's nice to see the rich people getting richer. But he, he tweeted out yesterday in response to DeSantis dropping out and endorsing Trump. Says, and seen. After a year of being humiliated by Donald Trump, DeSantis endorses him as he exits stage right. What a perfectly sad ending to this chapter. Now, you got to really love the judgmental nature of a guy like Jonah Goldberg, who... Um, he prostitutes himself on CNN. There's, there's no other word for it. He prostitutes himself on CNN for money. I don't know. Maybe he's not a CNN contributor anymore. He doesn't mention it in his bio on Twitter, probably because he's a little bit humiliated by it, but he shows up and hammers the checks, or at least did. And you you sit there and you go, it's really, really good. When you have a billionaire patron, you can demand purity. You can. There, there's no consequence to you. You can fly a plane as drunk as you want if you have a parachute. What does it matter? Who cares? And that kind of thinking doesn't really apply to anybody else or anything else in life, but Jonah Goldberg gets to sit there and peacock around and pretend that he is somehow morally superior to everybody else, which is absurd and insane and offensive. But that's the world that we live in. There is a segment of the population that loves that, that lives for that, that will lap that up. It's a very small segment of the population, which is why you need a billionaire patron in order to keep your little pet project website going. But that's beside the point. As long as you please your master, you are fine. Now, it's kind of funny that of all the people sit there and go, oh, yes, she's trying to please Donald Trump. Look into who Jonah is trying to please. Right? It's the same concept. Except DeSantis is doing it for principles. And the principle is unquestioning. Donald Trump would be a better president than Joe Biden. No matter if you think that Ron DeSantis would have been a better president than Donald Trump, Donald Trump would be a better president than Joe Biden. That's the calculus. That's it. If your paymaster sits there and says, here, I'm going to keep the gravy train rolling as long as you keep pleasing me, keep doing what it is I want, and that is placating my ego, whatever, however it is, 
I don't like Donald Trump, therefore you can't. You can't admit this universal truth. I wouldn't be surprised if the people over at the dispatch were going to write an editorial. Would they go as far as to endorse Joe Biden? Probably not. But I could see them going for Robert Kennedy. RFK Jr. for president. It's the only sane choice, even though he's absolutely insane. Because they hate Trump that much. It's their motivating force. It's nice to see that Ron DeSantis could put it aside. Because the cause is important. It'd be nice if other people could put it aside. I'm just just throwing that out there. I, I do want to play Ron DeSantis's exit video just because I think that it's uh, it's a telling story of well class. Honestly, I cut it into two bits because it's four minutes long. I cut it into two bits because there's a moment where he gets he builds up in, in the intro. And then the announcement that he's dropping out. And then comes the uh, endorsement. So we'll look at them separately. So let us start with that. First one's going to be cut two. Go ahead. Greetings from Florida. The warmth of being home is a reminder why I've chosen public service. From joining the United States Navy and serving in Iraq, to representing the people in the U.S. Congress, and now serving as governor of Florida. And it reminds me why I decided to run for president, to fight for those who have been forgotten in this country. This is America's time for choosing. We can choose to allow a border invasion, or we can choose to stop it. We can choose reckless borrowing and spending, or we can choose to limit government and lower inflation. We can choose political indoctrination, or we can choose classical education. These choices are symptoms of the underlying struggle to ensure that constitutional government can endure and that Western civilization can survive. And we launched this campaign to bring accountability to government, regain sovereignty at our border and restore sanity to our society. We cannot succeed as a country if we allow our nation to be invaded, our currency to be debased, our cities to crumble and our kids to be indoctrinated. The DC elites who facilitated this mess do not care about you and they do not work for you. They work for themselves. They seek to accumulate power at your expense to pursue an agenda that is harmful to the American people. Citizens do not serve politicians. It is the duty of politicians to serve you. Talk is cheap. Actions speak louder than words. Reversing the decline of this nation requires leadership that delivers big results for the people we are elected to serve. I have a record of leading with conviction, championing an agenda marked by bold colors, delivering on my promises, and defeating the people who are responsible for our nation's decline. That is the type of leadership we need for all of America. Now, over the past many months, Casey and I have traveled across the country to deliver a message of hope that decline is a choice and that we can, in fact, succeed again as a nation. Nobody worked harder, and we left it all out on the field. Now, following our second place finish in Iowa, we've prayed and deliberated on the way forward. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. That was the first one. That was him bowing out. I thought he did so gracefully there. There's nothing wrong with that. A bunch of people, a bunch of you know, people who don't understand what you have to do in politics 
are trying to make hay out of it and make him seem like an idiot, like a fool, whatever. But honestly, they're the idiots. But he goes on to endorse Donald Trump and he explains it. And he, I think he does another great job here. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises and I will not stop now. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. They watch his presidency get stymied by relentless resistance, and they see Democrats using lawfare this day to attack him. Well, I've had disagreements with Donald Trump, such as on the coronavirus pandemic and his elevation of Anthony Fauci. Trump is superior to the current incumbent, Joe Biden. That is clear. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. He has my endorsement because we can't go back to the old Republican guard of yesteryear, a repackage formed of warmed over corporatism that Nikki Haley represents. The days of putting Americans last, of kowtowing to large corporations, of caving to woke ideology are over. I thank all of our passionate supporters who have stood by us through it all, that we had people volunteer to come to Iowa in the middle of a blizzard to knock on doors and make phone calls touched us dearly. No candidate had more thrown at him, but no candidate had so many committed volunteers and staff. Finally, I want to thank my wife, Casey, and our kids, Madison, Mason, and Mamie. Casey's gone far above and beyond in her support for our campaign and for our cause. She's not only a great wife and mother, she's a great American who cares deeply about the future of the country that our kids will inherit. Our kids have seen and done a lot on the trail, from playing on the famed Field of Dreams baseball site in Iowa to making their first snowman in New Hampshire. They are one of the reasons we fight so hard for what we believe in. Winston Churchill once remarked that success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. While this campaign has ended, the mission continues. Down here in Florida, we will continue to show the country how to lead. Thank you, and God bless. That is, that's the way you leave a race. That's the way you leave a contest. You throw it out there and say, well, you know what we did? We had a good time. We did this, that, and the other thing, but we got to unite now. Now's the time. And it's going to take his supporters, especially the people who, you know, die hard. There are a lot of people who worked for the campaign. There are a lot of people, a lot more people who didn't work for the campaign on the payroll, but worked for the campaign. They they. You know, they were on board, every bit of the believer. And it's going to take a little bit of time. A speech like that is important for that sort of, and I hate to use these hippie words, like the healing of it, blah, come together and you, and all, but that's what it is. Let's just be honest. That's what it is. So it's great the way he handled it. And I'll tell you this. Often is the case. You get these candidates that are just... DeSantis isn't a bad candidate, although he can come across as a little bit robotic sometimes. But if you think about Al Gore in 2000, I mean, you want to talk about a robot. You want to talk about the Tin Man. You think about all the people who lost. John McCain's concession, concession speech in 2008 was a great speech. Mitt Romney's was okay. Mitt, Rom- Mitt Romney... John Kerry's concession speech in 2004 was good. Hillary Clinton in 2016, her concession speech, obviously behind the scenes she was a fraud and a liar and all that, but she showed a humanity that she didn't show on the campaign trail. 
And maybe it's the pressure being gone and it's over. You lost. You don't have to prepare for what's next. You got some time on your hands that they're able to finally relax and do whatever it is they do. But the people dropping out, candidates dropping out nine times out of ten, if they'd have campaigned the way that they conceded, they might not have had to concede at all. And look, I'm I'm not saying Hillary Clinton was a great candidate. I think she's a horrible person. Same with Al Gore, but he was a, just one of the worst campaigners in 2000. He was just a horrible candidate, a horrible campaigner. And then when finally, after whatever 39 days or whatever it was, when he conceded finally that he'd lost Florida and therefore the Electoral College, his speech there was was good. It was delivered like a normal human being would talk. And I said, thank God this guy wasn't on the campaign trail. Thank God. Ron DeSantis, I bet you that the Trump people are like, well, thank God that this guy that you just heard in that clip endorsing Donald Trump, thank God that guy didn't show up on the campaign trail. That could have been a different thing. I still think he would have made a huge mistake by going for Iowa, et cetera, et cetera. But that's beside the point. That's the way you drop out. Now, how you win, we'll see how the Trump people win. Donald Trump himself has been rather uh, good. He's been good about accepting DeSantis's endorsement and not dancing on his political grave. So that's good. It's just a matter of whether or not his considerable army of flying monkeys will do the same thing. And for how long? Look, it's going to happen. But for how long? Or how long before you can redirect your guns to the other trench because Donald Trump has been firing a lot down his own trench lately going after people in primaries and things like that and like that stuff's got to end even the members of Congress you don't like you're going to need their support so anyway we'll see how that shapes up it's there's never a dull moment even when you want one it is an important lesson to remember that in politics, it's not that you win, it's, it's how you win sometimes. Well, I mean, it's obviously if you lose, then, then you, can't, you can't win well if you lose. You have to win. But how you win matters because you're going, especially in a primary. There have been some knockdown, drag out fights. There have been some people who really thought it was all theirs and then it wasn't. Think back to 2000 and was it? God, it was 2004? Is that long ago? Remember Howard Dean? Howard Dean was running away with it. Howard Dean was anointed. They'd sent everything to the engravers. It was all there. The drapes had been measured and ordered, and they were already starting to install them in the Democratic headquarters. He was going to be the nominee. Howard Dean, former Vermont governor. Man, they loved him. He was all over television. And then he lost in Iowa. And then that scream and the wheels completely came off. And I don't think he won a single primary or I don't think he won a single contest. He didn't last very long after that. Before that, before he lost in Iowa, he was running a general election campaign. I remember it plain as day when he's sitting there on MSNBC talking about how, I think it was with Chris Matthews, how they're doing a 50 state strategy. They're going and they're going and they're going and they're going to do everything. They were campaigning and running campaign ads they had so much money at the time they were running campaign ads in states that weren't going to have primaries for a very long time 
because they could. And they were running general election campaign ads. That's what they were caring about. That's what they did. That's what mattered. They were like spiking the football on the five-yard line. That's what they did. That's what they do. And, you know, a funny thing happened on the way to the Super Bowl. They lost. They lost in humiliating fashion. And thank God they did. My God, if he'd have beaten, if he'd have been the nominee, there's a chance he could have beaten George W. Bush. And you go, my God, because he ended up being such a radical, such a lunatic, such a fringe nut that you go, holy cow, I'm so glad we dodged that bullet. Same with... With Al Gore in 2000, imagine what life would have been like. What do you think the response to 9-11 would have been? We could sit there and say, well, we wouldn't have gone into Iraq. Maybe, maybe not. Iraq was a uh, bipartisan disaster. But would we have bothered to go after the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in any meaningful way? I don't know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful that, that George W. Bush won. All right, uh, where do I want to go? There's a bunch of things to get to. I will I'll save that audio for a little bit later just because it could be considered inappropriate. But I want to highlight a couple of things that are going on, that is going on, that are flying a little bit under the radar. That'd be very interesting to watch and dissect because the world we live in, they're two different worlds. The New York Times has a hit piece today about the Claremont Institute. Claremont Institute is a conservative organization out of California that has an annual budget of $11 million. $11 million. You sit there and you go, well, I'd like an annual budget of $11 million. I would like an annual budget of $11 million, too. But in the world of think tanks and in the world of activism, $11 million is nothing. It really is literally nothing. And so it's this tiny little mouse that roared. They have been leading the fight and racking up victories and the anti-DEI crusade, the anti-diversity, equity, and inclusion, the racial discrimination, the professional victimhood, the entrenching of victimhood uh, that the left has created. That's what they have been involved in. And uh, this little organization is the mouse that roared. Well, they must be destroyed. So the New York Times has set out to do just that in the first salvo. Now, they don't come out and use the nuclear bomb right away. They raise the profile. They set the expectations. They elevate a group. They plant the seeds. And then over time, a short period of time, but over time, nonetheless, they then stick the knife in these organizations. It's not going to work this time. We're on to how they operate, but it's instructive to see how the left operates. They have this big piece in, uh, it's, it's a front page piece. It's a huge piece. It's like, I don't know, five, 10,000 words, something like that. It says, America is under attack, colon, inside the anti-DEI crusade. See, it's a crusade. The anti-DEI. Now, you could say, you could argue all sorts of things. Anti-DEI is pro-merit. It is anti-racist, if you're being honest about it, because you're judging people. You want outcomes based on skin color 
under the diversity, equity, and inclusion regime. So being opposed to that is being anti-racist. But then they throw in the crusade as a subtle way of saying these people are probably religious right. Let's be honest, they're right-wing wackos. So the story by Nick Confessori. In late 2022, a group of conservative activists and academics set out to abolish the diversity, equity, and inclusion program at Texas's public universities. They linked up with a former aide to the state's powerful Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who made banning DEI initiatives one of his top priorities, setting their sights on well-known schools like Texas A&M. They researched which offices and employees should be expunged. A well-connected alum conveyed their findings to the A&M chancellor, the former Patrick aide cited them before a Senate committee. The campaign quickly yielded results. In May, Texas approved legislation banishing all such programs from public institutions of higher learning. Oh, my God. Merit would now matter over melanin. What an outrage. Long before Claudine Gay resigned Harvard's presidency this month under intense criticism for her academic record, her con- now you got to love that intense criticism for her academic record it has nothing to do with intense criticism of her academic record there is very little academic record to uh, criticize intensely or dispassionately it was the plagiarism that was the problem people looked at her academic record not because of her skin color but because of her horrible testimony before congress where she could not just say you know what it's pretty bad when you call for genocide of jews you call somebody fat or you misgender them or use the wrong pronoun and you will face disciplinary action at harvard but you say all jews should be wiped out Eh, anybody could say that what are you going to do get worked up about that please yeah that made people go what the hell let's look at uh, the rest of this person's record and they found over 50 instances of plagiarism plagiarism used to be It really was the biggest offense anybody could commit in academia. Plagiarism. Taking the work of others and claiming it as your own. She did it more than 50 times in only 19 academic papers that she bothered to write, all of which were about racial victimhood. But she only wrote 19 of them. No books. Past presidents of Harvard have written as many as 15 papers in a year. Not to mention book upon book upon book, but somehow Claudine Gay gets this gig because why? Who knows? It'll be a mystery for the ages. But yes, once you looked at her academic record, it became abundantly clear that Harvard didn't look at her academic record. Not with any degree of scrutiny that uh, it warranted, that the position warranted. And so the wheels came off for sweet, sweet, nourishing Claudine Gay. It's a shame. It's a tragedy. Pour one out for this weekend for her, won't you? But it wasn't intense criticism of her academic record. It was the exposure of her academic fraud. But don't worry, she's still got a $900,000 a year job teaching at Harvard. Her congressional testimony about college anti-Semitism Uh, campus anti-Semitism, and her efforts to promote racial justice. Now, don't you love that? I'm going to start that over just so you get the full 
crux of the New York Times spin. Long before Claudine Gay resigned Harvard's presidency this month under intense criticism of her academic record, her congressional testimony about campus anti-Semitism, and her efforts to promote racial justice. She was not run out of her job for her efforts to... She got her job because of her promotion of racial justice. She just wasn't up to the job. Conservative academics and politicians had begun making the case that the decades-long drive to increase racial diversity in American universities had corrupted higher education. Now, don't you love this? Again, if you control the unit of measure, you control everything. And what you're seeing here is the control of the unit of measure. They're setting the unit of measure right here in the uh, second paragraph or third paragraph. That's what it, it has nothing to do with trying to create racial diversity. The real way, if you want to create racial diversity in any university, is you go down to the high school level where Democrats dominate and have been failing to educate people, particularly black and brown kids, in areas that are controlled generationally by Democrats. That's the real problem. You let people into schools that they are ill-prepared for simply because the Democrats in their high school didn't teach them critical thinking or how to read or write or anything like that, but damn, they can name 57 genders. And how well do you think they're going to do in that academic setting? Shouldn't you... It's the same thing with the left when they talk, when they hear this all. This is one of the favorite things over on MSNBC and at the Huffington Post and when I was like, the school to prison pipeline, the school to prison pipeline. We must shut down the school to prison pipeline. Well, their solution, if there is such, like, my God, there's a, there's a pipeline, you just shovel kids right from school into prison? That's horrible. We should, what, why? First of all, why, wait, before we shut it down, how do you want to shut it down? Because how you want to shut it down kind of matters. And the way the left wants to shut it down is to shut down the prison part. And you go, wait, that's not, that's not right. If there's this pipeline, we should stop the supply, right? Why are, is it that so many kids are ending up in prison and it's not this pipeline, it's the fact that there's a, there's a big straw, right? They shovel kids into it. And the way they shovel kids into it is the horrible union-controlled Democrat-run public school systems in American urban centers across the country from Baltimore to Philadelphia, New York, Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, you name it, all controlled by Democrats, all controlled by Democrats, almost, I would say, within the entire lifetime of everybody listening to this lifetime. And you go, well, if they're ending up, are there are there well-read, well-educated, well-reasoned intellectuals ready to take on the world but somehow sidetracked by a horrible system who are ending up in this school-to-prison pipeline? And the answer is no. No, it is not. It is kids who have not been educated. They always say, you know, some kids, they fall through the cracks. And you find somebody who's been arrested 17 times and they end up getting a life sentence at age 19 and they can't read. And well, they fell through the cracks of the education system. Well, if you look at the studies, you look at the, the test results, not a single student in Baltimore, not a single school could do uh, math at a, a, a basic level. And you go, huh, 
That's not a crack. That's not a crack that everybody... That's the Grand Canyon. That's a chasm. There's nothing there to keep you from fall, falling. It's That's a void. That is a complete void of space. That is not a crack. When everybody falls through it, when 80% fall through it, when 90%, that's not a crack. That's everything. That's everybody. That's the system. But there can be no discussion about changing the system or fixing the system, addressing the problems in the system. You can't do that because... Well, the Democrats are in charge, and they won't have that conversation. And the unions control the whole damn thing, and they aren't interested in that conversation. You want to get a union member, to a teacher's union member, well, not member. A lot of members are really disgusted by what their unions do, but they're forced to join. But you want to get a teacher's union boss to break out into hives, use the word merit around them. Use the word merit around them a few times and they will start itching like they just fell into a field of fleas. They would not, they cannot handle that word. That's what they're dealing with. You want to fix this problem in academia. You want to do this. You want to do that. Fix the school to prison pipeline. Fix the school part. If schools churn out well-educated kids without the progressive brainwashing of the system is rigged against you and you're never going to get ahead, ingrained into them to the point of they believe it, then there'll be a lot fewer people coming out of the prison end of that pipeline. And then you might realize that it's not a pipeline at all. It's just a series of bad choices that some people make no matter how good their upbringing is. But Democrats can't do that because once they start going, hey, we really screwed up the education system, then some people might go, yeah, you really did screw up the education system. You really screwed up everything. We should probably vote for somebody else. Once that thought creeps into people's heads, Democrats are truly, truly lost. I want to talk a little bit about the double standards for leftists and the, the crime. And like I say, they'll have a protest. and It's mostly peaceful. I mean, yeah, they did kill a couple of people, but there were a lot of people there. So as a percentage of the participants, very, very few of them were in fact murdered, maimed, whatever. And then, of course, you have the progressive protests or the uh, progressive prosecutors who say, well, <laughs> there but for the grace of God go I. I could have easily been murdering people and looting. Not Really? You either got that in you or you don't. I, I think you've either got that in you or you don't, but whatever. There are consequences for these actions. There are real-world consequences, as there should be. There has to be. There deserves to be. The only regret I have about that concept is when it comes to politics. The people who deserve, ultimately, the consequences are the people who don't ever get them. They don't. The politicians don't really ever feel the ramifications of it. Maybe they will. Maybe that someday will change where people will start voting and going voting based on results rather than tribalism. Democrats, 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 got to vote Democrats. Now, okay, Democrats have screwed up places. Right? If, you, if you just throw them a curveball every once in a while, I promise you, even if you want to go back to voting Democrats in the next one, you will have put the fear of God in them that they will at least... Go, okay, uh, we got to change. They'll stop a little bit. They'll alter a little bit. Keep them honest. Make them think that you might maybe 
go another direction with your vote, and that will put the fear of God in them and make them go and act in completely different ways. But if they don't have any reason to fear the electorate, then the electorate really has a lot of reason to fear them, to be honest with you. You have this situation. I touched on it last week. There's a new new story about it. The Walgreens closing up in Boston in a black neighborhood, and people are going to suffer. Well, the store is being looted on a regular basis, and there's no consequences for the looters. None. So the politicians are outraged, not at the crime that they've fostered, but that a company would act in a rational way. It is a rational. If you have a store that's open that is being looted, that is causing problems that you know your, your customers and your employees could face harm, and you're not able to operate at a profit, you're not going to keep that store open because, well, we want to give back to the community. No, no. If you really want to give back, we'll cut a check and then we'll get the hell out of here. So this from the uh, Boston Globe. Marky Warren Presley call for Walgreens to stay open, citing, quote, insurmountable, even deadly impacts on Roxbury. You got to love these people. Uh, As far as I know, they're all sort of career politicians. Now, granted, Elizabeth Warren has worked as a minority professor uh, of law in uh, academia, which is essentially politics, too. Not really ever run a business, these people. So they say members of Boston's congressional delegation called on Walgreens on Friday to keep its drugstore on Warren Street open indefinitely. Indefinitely. Doesn't matter if you're losing it. Money. Just get, We're going to tax the hell out of you and uh, stay open indefinitely. Citing, quote, insurmountable, uh, even deadly, end quote, impacts of the planned closure of the store could have on its Roxbury customers. Now, realistically... And they're going to argue that this neighborhood, this majority black neighborhood, doesn't have a pharmacy there. Walgreens serves the community, particularly the elderly and the infirm. And therefore, this is, uh, you know, it's a moral imperative. Now, if there is one thing I can tell you about markets is if there's a profit to be made, somebody will step in and do it. Right. There are plenty of national drugstore chains that if they look at what Walgreens is doing and why they're doing it, it's the, the crime. Somebody, or even not a national chain, somebody locally, some enterprising young person says, you know what, I can open a pharmacy here because there's a void. There's a void in the market. When you're dealing with capitalism, that's the way the market works. Is, is there a demand? Is there? There is a demand. Now, is there a supply? Does the supply meet the demand? If the supply does not meet the demand, there is an opportunity there for somebody to come in and meet the remaining demand or the existing demand or whatever and make a profit. But there's more to it than is there a supply and a demand. It's can that demand be met in a profitable way? If there is a neighborhood that says, we're going to put a, a 500% tariff on or tax on all prescription drugs because we think they're priced too high and they're going to cost them to cost 500% more, five times the cost. Well, probably not a lot of room for profit in that particular city, considering that 
the people who live there would likely, or the vast majority of them would likely, hop in a car or a bus or walk or whatever to a neighboring city and their drugstore. And I promise you, around the outskirts of that that ridiculous high-tax area would develop, would prop up a whole bunch of drugstores to meet that demand for people. That's how it works. But if there is no profit to be made, that district would have no, no, no drugstores in it. There's not much difference between the government imposing a massive punitive tax and the government imposing a set of circumstances that makes it inhospitable to business, making it impossible to continue to do business. The story continues. Senators Edward Markey and Elizabeth Warren and Representative Ayanna Presley, who's a member of the squad, they're all left-wing progressives, made their demands in a letter to the drugstore giant's CEO, Tim Wentworth. Don't you love it? They have, they have demands. Demands? You have demands? You have no control over this whatsoever. Quote, Walgreens claims it is seeking to expand its efforts to provide health care, the letter said. The choice to close several Walgreens locations in neighborhoods that serve black, brown, and low-income communities in Massachusetts and across the United States belies that goal and its stated commitment to serve the health of people across America, end quote. Again, there's, it's not Walgreens is going, you know what, we're just making too much money. This place is just raking in the dough. And then we found out that it's helping black people. Ew. We're going to shut that down. That's not the way it works. But Democrats would have you believe that because they'd rather you believe that. The alternative, the alternative is to recognize that progressive policies have failed miserably and have created inhospitable business environments that ultimately harm the residents in these areas, the people they profess to care more about than anybody. So the letter comes just after a week after the Globe first reported on upcoming closure, the upcoming closure, which would be the fourth Walgreens to shut its doors in a Boston neighborhood mostly made up of people of color in just over a year. No mention of any of the reasons why they'd be closing this. Again, it is not because they're just making too damn much money and they feel guilty about it. Outside the Warren Street store on Friday, Mara uh, Markey joined local residents and public officials in a news conference to decry the planned shuttering, saying residents have come to rely on their local pharmacies for prescription medications and also their everyday household items, including groceries and cleaning supplies. See, you've got to, you've got to stay open because everybody's become used to it. It's insane. It is nuts. Now, let me see. I want to look up what Ed Markey's net worth is because I'm just curious. Ed Markey's net worth is $900,000. $900,000. Okay. Elizabeth Warren is somewhere in the neighborhood of $20 million. I don't know what Ayanna Presley is worth, but it doesn't really matter. Because between the two of them, they have more than enough money that they could easily open up a pharmacy of their own. They could form it as a nonprofit, there to expressly serve the community, provide you know goods and services that they need that they aren't getting elsewhere, and uh, only charge wholesale or just enough to meet their payroll, 
and that's it. They could do all of these wonderful things, but they won't. They don't. They recognize that would be fiscal suicide. They're not about to do that. They're not stupid. They didn't get rich by being stupid. That's just the way it is. That's the way it works out. Quote, the shelves that held these goods are now being cleared out. Yeah, they're being cleared out in riots pretty regularly, too, but that's beside the point. Customers have been told that the pharmacy is closing, and the next best option is a mile away, Marky said. These shelves are now as empty as the promises Walgreens made to the community. Well, the community kind of has to have a promise to, to Walgreens back, too, right? Isn't that inherent in the social contract? It's you leave me alone, I'll leave you. I'll leave you alone, you leave me alone. It's not I'll leave you alone. You can go ahead and mess with me on nonstop. You can go ahead and rip me off, whatever you want, attack. No, that's that. it's a two-way street. It is a tit for tat. It is a one for the other. Walgreens, I will serve this community. The community kind of says, okay, well, we won't burn you to the ground. We won't loot you. We won't whatever. We, we, we'll behave. We'll be good customers. Now, granted, it's a very small percentage of the population who go into any of these stores with a 44-gallon garbage bag and fill it up with cosmetics and other expensive products that they then resell online. But it's the community that elects the prosecutors and the politicians who look at those criminals and go, well, we really need to understand why they're doing such things. And we can't judge. And certainly, I think, I think probation for a 25th offense is really something that people should be looking. It's only fair. How many punches is somebody expected to take? Now you say somebody, well, how many punches is a company expected to take? How many should they be expected to take? What is the obligation of an individual or a company in communities that are overrun by crime because the criminals are not prosecuted? I would say there's none. I would say there's none. In the letter, the members of the congressional delegation said the closure adds to a, quote, larger legacy of historic racial and economic discrimination that has created significant pharmacy and food deserts and lack of access to transportation in these neighborhoods. Boy, you know anybody who's been in charge of these areas politically for a long period of time that you could maybe bring these things up with? Because that sounds like, oh, yeah, it's Democrats. Never mind. Blame the corporations who are reacting to the failed Democratic progressive policies, not the failed Democratic progressive policies. Don't look at the reason for the closure. Just get mad at the closure. None of this is by accident. Initially, Walgreens said in a statement in response to Globe inquiries that the closure that it, quote, weighs a, ver a variety of factors when deciding to close a location, including our existing footprint of stores, dynamics of the local market, and changes in the buying habits of our patients and customers, end quote. On Friday, the company said in a new statement that it appreciates the concerns raised by elected officials and community members and it is, quote, committed to our patients in Roxbury and across Boston, end quote. The pharmacy said it has waived one to two day home delivery fees and is working with customers to help them download the Walgreens app, quote, which includes many other convenient shopping and prescription filling options. There are other options there. The 
private sector. The market is working to make sure that some of these people, all of them really, if they could just take advantage of the basics of life nowadays, are still served. But the politicians, that's not good enough. Politicians are angry. Why? Well, because they have to be angry at the company because the alternative is the people who are angry along with the politicians. The politicians are faking it, by the way. The people who are angry along with the politicians will then recognize who is really, truly to blame for all of this. And then they might not slavishly, blindly, loyally vote for Democrats in the future. And that's really what it's all about. They're terrified. They're horrified at this. So Walgreens is the monster because they refuse to continue to operate at a loss because Democrats refuse to enforce the laws. Sounds super great, doesn't it? So while we've got the sad tale of woe of what's going on with Walgreens up in Boston, we have on the other side of the country a similar story. Oakland, California. You go from Boston to Oakland. This story from ABC 7 News out in uh, Oakland, California. I guess it's more the San Francisco, the Bay Area, where it's currently 56 degrees. A little bit jealous. Not going to lie about that. The headline, in and out in Oakland to close over increase in crime, company says. I love how they say company says. They could easily verify this, but they don't want to highlight you know news the story in and out burger is closing its oakland location in a few weeks due to crime according to chief operating officer denny warnick the company confirmed to abc7's dion lim the closure of the restaurant located at blah 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 which has been open for nearly two decades the address doesn't matter if you're going to go there you know pick me up a burger but otherwise i don't think you'd necessarily need the address in a statement, Warnick detailed the type of crime that customers would frequently witness and be subject to. Quote, Despite taking repeated steps to create safer conditions, our customers and associates are regularly victimized by car break-ins, property damage, theft, and armed robberies. End quote, Warnick wrote. Now, isn't that interesting? Of course, Oakland is a very liberal city. They have a very liberal mayor. They have a very liberal everything. It's always been crime in Oakland, but it's gotten out of control. When you sit there and you go, Oakland is the Detroit of the West Coast. And you sit there and you go, well, they're making butts of jokes about it. And it's gotten so bad that a business that's been there for almost 20 years has had enough. Quote, we are grateful to the local community, which has supported us for over 18 years, and we recognize this closure negatively impacts our associates and their families. Additionally, this location remains a busy and profitable one for the company, but our top priority must be the safety and well-being of our customers and associates. We cannot ask them to work or vi visit or work in an unsafe environment. End quote. Now, the place is profitable, making money. Again, there's corporate greed. I but we're seeing what? We're seeing an increase in crime there, and people are either being hurt or risk being hurt. So you end up with a situation where the corporation, it should be applauded, right? It should be able, they're being responsible. They're, they're putting people over profits. They can make profits. 
But at what cost? At what price? But no. No, that's not the way the world works. Because you'd have to look at it and go, hey, um, what's the real problem? Why is crime so bad that a successful business is closing? I said, Warnick said the employees will be transferred or receive a severance package. Its last day of operation is Sunday, March 24th. March 24th is a little ways away. They've got a little bit of time to get their act together. The city of Oakland does. Maybe they could change this. Maybe they could. But to do that, they'd have to acknowledge what they've done in the past to make things worse, to foster this sort of environment. And they can't do that. They can't do that. They won't do that. A lot of these people, look, a lot of them recognize that yeah, their policies are kind of screwy, but at least those policies get them elected and it sure beats working for a living. But there are some people who are just true believers. The people who will stand on the piles of bodies in Chicago and say, what we really need is to end police hunting down open season on young black men. Like, How many of those you know, 500 black men that were shot and killed last year were by other black men? Two. Or by, other white, by white men? Two. But that's beside the point. You're focusing on the negative. You're focusing on the this. You're focusing on the that. Yeah, no, we're, we're dealing with reality. I understand that it's inconvenient for you to do so. But then you cannot tell me that you care if you refuse to look at what truly is and deal with it under those circumstances, reality on reality's terms. Then you'll never convince me that you care. The people in Oakland, are, you know, they love In-N-Out Burger. People in California love In-N-Out Burger. They're making a profit. And they're closing. The people in Boston need their Walgreens. I'm sorry, you need your Walgreens. Walgreens is operating at a loss, meaning they're losing money. They're not they're operating at a loss. You can't operate at a loss for very long. They're losing money. They have to leave. And it's not because they're losing money because... People aren't coming in to buy things. People come in to buy things. But when every once in a while, and it can be one customer in a thousand, comes in with a duffel bag and wipes out a good chunk of your store, and you're operating on you know pretty thin margins to begin with, and you make up your money, you make your money on volume, not on individual transactions, those margins are easy to screw up. If you want to sit there, and the only way maybe maybe Walmart, or not Walmart, uh, Walgreens could stay open, the only way Walgreens could maybe stay open in that location is if they did a, a 100% price increase on everything. Right? You do that, all right, you're going to have to make up for the shrinkage. You're going to have to make up for what we're ripped off. So your, your toothpaste is now going to cost you 15 bucks. But that's ridiculous. You're price gouging. It's an outrage. Okay, then we have to close. No, that's ridiculous. You're abandoning people. Well, it can't be both. It has to be one or the other. It has to be. We're not a charity. It has to be. Either that or you impose severe punishment on criminals. That's not even an option. You notice none of those politicians, I read you the whole story, none of those politicians... Mention anything about that. 
Not a damn one of them said, well, you know what we really need to do is crack down on this. It's unacceptable that people can be repeat offenders, repeat offenders, and massive retail theft. You're talking about organized crime. If you really wanted to go after these people, you could do so in a RICO case, the same way they went after the mafia. That's what these people are doing. They are not The people in the stores loading up the duffel bags, by the way, are not the people loading them up to Amazon or selling them on eBay. They work for those people. There's an organization. You really, you really think somebody dumb enough to go, all right, I'll take a duffel bag into there and I'll clean out all the eyeliner or whatever the hell is expensive makeup. They load it in there. You really think that they're good, smart enough to sell anything online, to then package it, label it, and make sure that it's shipped out on time? Do you really believe that? No. These are the Fredos of the underworld they're getting their beak wet they're making money they're not making the most money they're not making a ton of money and oh by the way if walgreens turned into what you know new york is now with their Dwayne reeds and everything where everything is behind plexiglass these very same politicians would be holding press conferences about how it is absurd and offensive and wrong that they are putting these things behind plexiglass. They're making it impossible. They're hindering people. They're blah, blah, blah. It's racist. It's sexist. It's transphobic. It's whatever they got. They'll always find something to complain about because the alternative is for people to look around and go, what's really going on here? Let's think about this for a second. No, 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 no. Keep people in an emotional state. I promise you. That if you think back on it rationally, the things for which you have apologized in your life, most of them, most of them were things you did when you were worked up, when you were angry, when you were excited, whatever it was. You did or said something in the midst of a, an argument or disagree, whatever, and you go, oh, geez, why did I say that? All right, I apologize. I shouldn't have said that. It just, it just got away from me. The heat of the moment, if you will. Democrats, you can get people to do just about anything if you get them in an emotional state. If you make them scared, there is nobody who is truly frightened who acts in a rational way. So what do you end up with? You end up with Democratic politicians telling you that the system is rigged against you. The whole system is going to come down on you. It's stopping you from doing it. They're hunting for you. The police are out hunting for you. They're going to shoot you and kill you and get away with it. They don't care. That's, what they, that's why these police got up in the morning is so they can go out and shoot someone who looks just like you. And you look and you go, good God, that's, that's horrible. I need to be on the lookout for that. Meanwhile, 18 people over the course of the weekend who look like you got shot by people who look like you. And exactly zero got shot by the police. But you're looking around, head on a swivel, looking for the police because they're the ones who are on the lookout for you. You are, if you are ever to be the victim of a crime, particularly a violent crime, and I hope you're not, the odds of you being victimized by somebody who doesn't look like you are infinitesimal compared to the odds of you being victimized by a crime by somebody who does look like you. If you are, God forbid, to be murdered, the odds are you're going to be murdered by somebody with the same melanin level as you. Just is. If you were betting in Vegas, that's where you'd put all your chips on. And it doesn't matter what you look like. Black, white, Asian, Indian, Mexican, doesn't matter. That's the way the world works. It's just straight up statistics. 
Now, the odds of you being shot and killed by a police officer, if you're unarmed and complying and not fighting with that police officer, go down to the level of being struck by lightning 15 times simultaneously while you were making out with a light socket. It is almost next to nothing. Which one do they focus on? They focus on one, not the other. They'll tell you, we care about lives. Well, it's a motto. We put it on the streets. We've painted it. We've named plazas after it. We care deeply. Black lives matter. What about all the black and black murder? Shut up. That's not what we're talking about. Okay, well then, what are you talking We're talking about the nine instances on an average year of an unarmed innocent person or seemingly innocent person. If you Well, maybe less than nine if you discount the people who are trying to run over police but didn't have a gun. Those people, that's what we're talking about. The George Floyds who have more fentanyl in their system than just about anybody could ever survive, who was complaining that he couldn't breathe while he was sitting in the car before he ever started resisting arrest. He was having difficulty breathing. Why? Because he had a lot of fentanyl in his system. He's a junkie. He's lionized now. He's a hero. Some seven-year-old shot and killed in Chicago, three-year-old shot and killed in Baltimore. You know, those names don't ring out. Those names don't matter anymore. There's no plazas named after them. There's no intersectional murals painted to those kids that were doing nothing but playing who got shot and killed. There's nothing. There's nobody shedding a tear. There's no annual this or annual that. There's no marking. The nightly newscasts do not mark the murders of those kids. Some of them, by the way, someone like Mackenzie Elliott, Baltimore, shot and killed. She was three years old, sitting on her porch. Took years. They finally found somebody, the person who did it. Finally. You probably never heard the name Mackenzie Elliott unless you lived in Baltimore at the time. I did. That was it. There's no Mackenzie Elliott Plaza. There's no Mackenzie Elliott intersection. Should be. You really want to draw attention to the scourge of violence and the death of innocent people. How about you highlight that rather than a arrest-resisting junkie? The way they painted George Floyd, Al Shar- he, did, he had three funerals. Three funerals. One in uh, Wisconsin, one in Atlanta, I think, and one in wherever the hell, uh, one of the Carolinas. Al Sharpton flew to all of them. During COVID, you couldn't leave your house. You couldn't go visit your parents dying in the hospital. But Al Sharpton managed to jet to three different locations and attend three different memorial services packed full of people who never met the deceased. Packed full of people who never met the deceased. And if any of them gave a damn about the deceased, they might have, I don't know, tried to do something about him whilst he was still alive. When he was, you know, a lifelong junkie, maybe they could have done something about that, but he wasn't useful to them then. They ignored him. But dead, the circumstances in which he died could be bastardized to help them. And they did, and they were. They contributed to Joe Biden's victory in 2020. And that's all that really matters. Forget the fact that he had really overdosed. Forget the fact that the medical examiner found literally nothing that uh, Derek Chauvin did 
hindered his ability to breathe at all. I don't know if you've ever been able to not breathe, but you can't not breathe for eight and a half minutes. Somebody suffocating you for eight and a half minutes. That's not how it works. It's not. It doesn't take that long for you to pass out. They're waiting for an ambulance that didn't come. It's a total and complete railroad job, but the narrative was fed, and that's ultimately all that really matters to these people, isn't it? The narrative gets fed. It's got an insatiable appetite. I want to uh, talk a little bit about Joy Reid. Oh, you can can never talk too much about Joy Reid, ladies and gentlemen, just like you can never talk too much about a festering boil that prevents comfortable sitting down. That is what Joy Reid, in fact, is on the species. It's a shame that MSNBC has no standards. It's like no standards, no standards, negative standards. There's no sense of decency, nothing. Nobody looks at her and goes, yeah, you know what? What I really need is um, important information. She gives me a new way of looking at things that I hadn't thought of before. Now, that's just not how the world works. So as we uh, listen to this audio, I want you to keep that in mind because it is one of the damnedest things that she is on television, that she is considered to be a journalist by NBC News. And she's a member of the panel. You know, every time they have an election night coverage or breaking news coverage, they bring her out. They bring her. Fox News, say what you will. They look at uh, the primetime hosts and they go, hey, you know what? We're not going to put Jesse Waters on the, the the big broadcast on election night. He's, no, for lots of reasons. Sean Hannity is an opinion guy. We might get his opinion, but he's not going to be co-anchor of it. They're not going to do that. We're going to put news people out there. NBC News has no such scruples, no such qualms. So uh, why talk about Joy Reid this time? Really, honestly, every single day she provides a plethora of opportunities to mock leftists. And for that, I am eternally grateful. But she had on Tiffany Justice. Tiffany Justice is the uh, co-founder of Moms for Liberty. Now, this is a lot like, this is, again, somebody getting high in their own supply. A few months ago, Joy Reid had on Chris Rufo. She was whining and complaining about Chris Rufo on Twitter, and Chris Rufo said, hey, I'll happily come on your show and talk to you about any of this. Joy Reid in the high on her own supply bit is that she really believes that she's smart, which, you know, you got to have respect for people who understand what they are. If you're smart, you know you're smart. If you're dumb and you know you're dumb and you act accordingly, you can still, that's pretty smart. But it is the dumb people who are convinced that they're smart. It's one thing to act smart on television or on radio. People can do that all the time pretty easily and do, in fact, do that. But when you start believing it and acting accordingly, it becomes a bit of a joke and a little bit problematic for you because... Sooner or later, you will step in a giant bear trap because you're not smart. Joy Reid is not smart. When she had Christopher Rufo on, 
He ran circles around her to the point that all she could do to get to the commercial break was continually interrupt him. Continually interrupt him uh, when he was saying anything. She did not want him to speak. She recognized fairly quickly into the segment that it was a mistake to have him on, that she was outmatched. I imagine that and the producers screaming in her ear going, don't stop talking, don't let him talk. Well, she did it again. Tiffany Justice, Moms for Liberty. Moms for Liberty is a group that is going around raising awareness of the inappropriate text and information and ideas conveyed in books in elementary school libraries across the country. You say, well, Derek, what are you, a book burner? What do you know? No. I'm not for book banning at all. You can buy any of these books, by the way. You can buy all the copies of gender queer you want all you care about nobody will give a damn buy them on amazon give them out as christmas gifts whatever you want nothing stopping you from doing it but you want to put it in a public school see parents can decide whether or not they want their kid to read about the intricacies and how-tos of various sex acts right I'd question any parent who goes, you know what, Junior, here's genderqueer for you. Yeah, no, it's just good. When I was your age, I first started reading violent, you know, sexually explicit children's literature. you got to wonder what's wrong with these publishers, but that's for another time. They can publish what they want. But you can pretty much guarantee that if it is a story of uh, homosexuality, or sexuality at all, but really... Homosexuality doesn't belong in an elementary school library. But you can guarantee sales. It's amazing. You don't know how many libraries. Every school has a library. Every elementary school has a library. Every small town has libraries. Every, Every place has libraries. You can make a ton of money by writing a book that doesn't really sell out in the wild if you get the embrace of libraries. They'll all buy copies. They pay They pay a discounted price, but your cut's the same. You can make a ton of money, and it does inspire. Once, and it's weird to think, there are leftist progressive parents out there who go, ooh, somebody's offended by this book. We must buy this book for our kids. Why? Why? See, I, I, I think a wellness visit for every parent is like, my five-year-old. I bought, I bought my five-year-old a copy of Genderqueer because the local Christian conservatives were trying to ban the book. Like, All right, great. We're going to need to have a little talk. We just want to make sure that everything is okay. What? Why? What's the problem? Have you read the book? I'd suggest that most people haven't read this book, but they know that it is something that uh, conservative parents find inappropriate, and therefore the left embraces it. There's a strain on the left, and it's the activist left, and it is a large strain. It is the leadership of people who simply go, well, they don't like it, well, then I embrace it. They don't like it, they don't care for it, then I embrace it. I'm for it. It's a sickness. It's really stupid. It's not uncommon. So you had this mom on there, and Joy Reid is... um, well, she, like I say, she thinks she's smart. And this one has 
just be aware this clip has a little bit of language that you're like i'm not really sure it's nothing it's wild it could make you upset but it's not illegal it's not offensive it's not crossing the line it's clinical and it's true and if you're uncomfortable with the language used in this clip this is the tame version of the language and graphics because a lot of these are graphic novels the pictures the depictions in these books in these libraries so if you sit there and you go well i can't believe they said that for well imagine your seven-year-old finding this book as once one kid finds it it all goes it's just inappropriate it'd be like having a playboys in the library it'd be wildly inappropriate nobody would do that um joy reed thinks she's being smart here tiffany justice um educates her at the end with the the question of context it's rather brilliant what is booklooks.com I, I'm aware of a website called booklooks.com where parents can go and see some of the books that other parents are concerned Booklooks. about. Booklooks.com has been used in Florida extensively in counties like, I used to live in Broward County, I lived there for 14 years. Okay. In counties like Broward, counties like Clay, counties like Escambia, Moms for Liberty activists are using booklooks.com. And it's essentially a cliff notes for books. Yeah. So you go through without even having to read the book. I'm going to just hold it up so our audience can see what it looks like. This is the one for All Boys Aren't Blue, which is one of the books Moms for Liberty has Everyone should go and see the content in this book that's such a good idea and so what happens is you can do keyword searches and find certain keywords like rape you can find key or anal rape or dildo you can find all sorts of keywords words but like wait hold on wait wait let me finish my question then you can answer i'm gonna give you time to answer but i gotta ask you first no yeah Um, and so what you find is the keywords that you find the Uh n-word anything words like you just used whether you'll get out of context passages from the book and then based on that Moms for Liberty members are going to places like Broward County School Board meetings, reading out of past, out of context passages from these books and then demanding that the school board remove them. So what's that the is the way yeah. the, the question I'm asking is, what is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue, isn't oh. appropriate for students to read? What, what is your expertise? A, what a tragic story of a young man who's annually raped by his adult family member. So mm-hmm. you have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer, so sure. I'm going to answer Please for do. you. Um, in what context is a strap on dildo acceptable for public school? Just let, mm-hmm. I mean, that's my question mm-hmm. to you. It's a brilliant question. I always heard the same thing when, uh, remember when uh, James O'Keefe was releasing Project Veritas, they weren't Project Veritas yet, the videos of the Acorn people, right? The Acorn people in Baltimore and all around the country where they're like, here's how you import underage girls for prostitution purposes here i can help you with that i can give you some advice on that and what did the left say these videos are wildly taken out of context they're taken out of they're heavily edited and things are taken out of context to which i always ask the question in what context is advising someone on how to import underage sex slaves good go ahead i'll give you all the time in the world go ahead and create a context in which that advice is good. Nobody ever had an answer to it because the only answer is there is no context under which somebody giving somebody that advice is good. It's like if you watch the To Catch a Predator things with Chris Hansen, like, you were coming here to have sex with a 12-year-old boy. Oh, no, you're taking my my messages that say explicitly that I want to have sex with a 12-year-old boy way out of context. 
No, you're not. That is the context. That is the context. And it's the content. Okay? If you want to have a discussion with your kids about these topics, knock yourself out. But you don't put it in there for the, the problem with it being in the public school libraries and elementary schools is the parents are removed from that decision making process. Part of a parent being a parent is a lot being like a goalie. You're swatting things away, keeping things out of the net. Just keep it. You try and protect the kids. Some some scene comes on in a movie where it's, you know, sex or gore or whatever, and you distract the kid, you look away, you're like, okay, get, get out. That's, a, that's what it is. It used to be an accepted part of parenting. Now it's the state going, we don't have it. The Democrats saying, you can't do it. Who are you to judge that your three-year-old is not ready to see hardcore pornography, to see graphic depictions of sex acts? Now, the left always does, because the left is brilliant at messaging. They're, they're making Goebbels proud. They, they've taken Goebbels' le uh, legacy to the next level, where they always go, well, you're, you're, you just, you're uncomfortable with the gay sex here. No, I'm sure there are some people who don't, I don't want my kids exposed to any kind of sex. It has nothing to do, I don't know anybody who's like, if it was just, you know, a man and a woman getting it on, this, this cartoon drawing would be fine. I've never heard that in my life. But they, the left goes, you're only outraged by genderqueer because they're showing this, depicting this graphic thing. And yeah, okay, well, that is, aren't you outraged by that? Does it matter if it was a man or a woman doing it? Does it really matter? You want to give that to your five-year-old? Because I think you should be on some kind of list. I think you should not be allowed anywhere. Forget the books in schools. People who defend this shouldn't be within 500 yards of a school. So then Tiffany Justice then goes back and stumps Joy Reid. And this is a brilliant bit of audio. Again, Joy Reid's team put these out. Joy Reid's team put these out. And you go, this this was the best you could mine from this whole thing? Because nobody watches Joy Reid, so nobody saw this live. This was the best you could mine? This is the best you've got? This is Harvard... Now, granted, Joy Reid admitted that she was an affirmative action admission to Harvard. So, you know, what are you going to do? And it's weird. She was defending Claudine Gay. Is defending Cla the only reason she was defending Claudine Gay is, again, because the conservatives had pointed out that she was a fraud. She's one of theirs. She's on their team. She's obsessed with race. She's a leftist, committed leftist. That was it. It didn't matter. Nobody ever bothered to look at whether or not she did. Nobody even tried to defend, because she did, the plagiarism. They didn't try to deny the plagiarism. They tried to downplay the concept of plagiarism a little bit. But mostly they said things like, she was run out of the job because she was a committed social justice warrior. Huh? I mean, granted, social justice warriors do commit a disproportionate amount of crime. I'm not sure that plagiarism is anything more than an academic crime but still you know fine anyway back to tiffany justice and joy reed check out this clip saw what some of the content was in the books i mean explicit graphic sexual content and i'm happy to talk about some of that content if you if you'd like to well this is the question again 
The books that are being banned, I want to give you just no some... Hold on, no, hold on a second. Well, no, Joy, but I want to be clear. Uh-huh. No one's banning books. Write the book, print the book, publish the book, put the book in the public library, sell the book, right? Uh, we're talking about a public school library. Children mm-hmm. don't have unfettered access to the internet at school. Mm-hmm. I did a, a FOIA records request, and, and, and I wanted to see what kinds of internet sites are banned mm-hmm. in schools, if we're going to talk about banning, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the subject matter in the books that moms are concerned about are the same things that kids don't have access to on the internet. So it, it just feels very hypocritical, right? No, why is no one out there protesting for, you know, free the internet in schools? <laughs> Joy Reid had no good answer. She changed the subject. But that's a good point. There are internet controls. You can't go into an elementary school library and start looking up any of the content, really, quite frankly, in some of these books. You're in an elementary school library and you start searching pedophilia and I would hope to God all sorts of bells and whistles come off and whoever the librarian's in there is like getting weird alerts going, what the hell's going on? And maybe call some security in there. If it's a kid doing it, that kid probably needs to be talked to just to make sure that everything's okay at home because those thoughts don't occur to kids naturally. If it's an adult doing it, if it's a teacher using the school computers to search these things, I want that person thoroughly examined. (laughs) I want to know what the hell is going on here. But Joy has no good answer to that. Search, you can ban the internet, you can limit the internet, but not the books. Banning books, banning books, banning books. Again, you go into these bookstores, you go into left-wing independent bookstores, you go into... Barnes and Nobles, or is it Barnes and Noble? Yeah, Barnes and Nobles are still around. You go into any of these bookstores, and what do they have? There's always some leftist on staff who puts together, here's the banned book section. Granted, I understand that education has fallen to the point that it's an embarrassment now to the species, but the idea that you could put together a banned book section and think that somehow you're doing like you're missing the point you're missing the irony you're missing the reality of these books are banned well then how do you have so many of them why do you have 10 copies of each of them in the banned book section if they're banned well they're they're being banned everywhere no no i guarantee you any parent at any elementary school who desperately wants a how-to guide for whatever sick peccadillo they have can find it on amazon and order it sent to their house. It has no place in an elementary school. It has no place in an elementary school. Some would even say that it doesn't have a junior high or high school. But they're not banned. By the way, go to an elementary school and try and find a copy of the Bible. See how that works out. You want to talk about banned books. Have kids carry copies of the Bible. Have kids read copies of the Bible. See how the school, rea- they might not immediately go, you can't do that in here, but they'd, you'd see a whole, especially if at lunch they've read it out loud to a group of kids. You'd see administrators and teachers get wildly uncomfortable super fast. I want to play you a clip now from... Uh, Dana White. Dana White is the uh, founder, president, whatever. He's the big boy. He's a billionaire. He's the guy who brought us UFC. UFC ain't my cup of meat. I, I just uh, I like boxing. UFC would be fine if they'd break up the wrestling part. 
the grappling and the submission. Once you get two guys, like I, I don't mind them throwing punches at each other, occasional kicks, but once you get the guy in the bear hug and you're trying to like break his arm, or that just becomes a little bit too gross for me. Plus, it's boring. Just get up, all right? You got you got ten seconds to try and get him to submit. If they don't do it, then you you get up and you fight again. But I don't watch it. I know lots of people do. It's wildly popular. It's way more popular than boxing. So what the hell do I know? But um, he's a no-nonsense kind of guy. He's wrong on Bud Light. But then he got a truckload of money from Bud Light. So I think he probably knows he's wrong on Bud Light. But he's still too busy counting the money he got from them to care about it. But he was asked by this leftist reporter. Last week, some leftist reporter was asking uh, one of the fighters, one of the champions about comments and social media things like you posted stuff that's homophobic, transphobic. You said things like men are men and women are women and stuff like that. All the things that are, you know, horribly wrong scientifically. That's basically the gist of his question. And the guy's like, what are you? Are you gay? Do you care? The reporter was outraged that somebody wouldn't immediately kowtow to the liberal line. You're going... It's pretty clear that this guy has no questions about the fight or about fighting, about MMA. He doesn't care about that. He's there for the liberal agenda. And again, it goes to my people who are in sports journalism seem to be people who were always picked last and have held a grudge about that ever since and hate sports now. Well, this guy, the same guy, came back to ask Dana White to sort of try and tattletale. Oh, what if I tell you, I'll tell your boss that you said mean things about uh, things that people don't like to say, and I'm going to tell on you, and you're going to get in trouble to your boss. Well, Dana White, Dana White was having none of it. About, like, you obviously give a long leash to your fighters about, you know, what they can say when they are up there with a UFC microphone, and you are getting into territory of homophobia, transphobia. Like, is there... I don't give anybody a leash. Well, I'm saying you... A leash? I'm st- like Free speech. Control when, what people say? Going to tell people what to believe? Going to tell people? I don't f-ing tell any other human being what to say, what to think, and there's no leashes on any of them. What is your question? I was asking that question. I'll move on, though. Yeah, uh, probably a good idea. You just, that's ridiculous to say I give somebody a leash. Free speech, brother. People can say whatever they want, and they can believe whatever they want. <laughs> was clearly not prepared. This guy is used to talking to people who immediately go, well, you were accusing me of being some sort of isterphobe. I apologize unreservedly. I will look into the matter. I will make sure that uh, whatever isterphobic thing that somebody has done or thought about doing or whatever impure thought may have occurred to somebody was is thoroughly dealt with forever and ever and ever, and I will make sure that none of this happens ever again. I apologize unreservedly. That's all what he's used to. That's not what he got. <laughs> just, I just love it. What the hell do you mean to give him a leash? The guy can say whatever the hell he wants. You don't have to like it. You don't have to be here. Ugh, the left. They're just a virus infecting themselves everywhere. Lastly, I maybe we'll get more into this tomorrow because this cracks me up. But the Washington Post, this story, their headline, How Meat and Milk Companies Are Racing to Ease Your Climate Guilt. Did you Were you aware that you had climate guilt over milk and meat? Because I just enjoyed the deliciousness of it. 
said a climate-friendly hamburger, a carbon-neutral glass of milk. As companies make bold claims, a heated debate erupts. Now you can tell it's. I bet you this debate rages most amongst vegans, if I had to guess. And I, I will save it for tomorrow. I just want to read you one little bit of it that is too beautiful for words. Again, Washington Post reporting. Now, this is from Florida. It says, Edward Lavigino, Lavigino, who the hell knows, munching truffle fries while awaiting his burger, asked if it meant grass-fed. So the move... Uh, that move one that moved one of his companions, Joe Nero, to suggest googling it. "Quote: It sounds to me like beef that regrets that it sounds a little Halloweenish." Bob Anderson said of Claremont, Florida. Another customer asked by a reporter if they purchased a regenerative beef burger, meaning a hippie one that lowers the carbon footprint. If they purchased a regenerative beef burger, responded, quote, No, I got the one with bacon, end quote. <laughs> America, F, yeah, no, did you, did you buy the hippie burger? No, no, I bought one with bacon. I got, ex I got extra disappointment on it from you. It finishes the climate-friendly branded burgers, may or may not take off with diners, but in Gainesville, the experiment was cut short. Days after the post stopped by, Hop Dottie shuttered the location. They drove a restaurant out of business. You gotta love it. You gotta uh, when something comes back, a big dose of their own medicine to bite a liberal in the butt, you really, really have to enjoy it. Alright, that is enough. Uh, we talk about liberals biting butts, or bites being butts being bitten. Turns into a kid's book in uh, democratic sewing circles. So let us not travel down that path, shall we? And let's call it a day. Well, not completely a day. I'll tell you that I'm not, I'm not prepared. So I'm not going to announce the next book for next week, starting tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I just didn't have time to get down to the basement. Uh, so, you know, what are you going to do? But I do have a winner to announce. It is a lady. We are hits with the ladies. And this one goes out to Julie Hunt Junot. Congratulations, Julie Hunt Junot. You have a message from me. I know you're not French, but uh, I'll say this anyway. As if I were French, you win Rush on the radio. You check your messages from me, and you send me your address, and I will send you the book, and this is how things work. Congratulations to you, Julie Hunt Junot. Sorry to everybody else. Like I say, I'll get another copy. Hopefully, I'll get a few more copies of this it's a wildly popular book bestseller and people love it and james owes me quite frankly that's not true at all i owe him but still i can guilt him or harass him or at least make him laugh to the point that he'll send me some signed copies so thank you for that we'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again i really do like feel bad i wish i could give everybody a copy but I don't even have a copy. That was my copy. So it's not like it was personalized to me or anything, but that was my copy. And now it belongs to someone else because that's what we do here on this show. And by we, I mean me. Because the cats don't do crap. Just lazy little hairball barfing fuzz wads. Anyway, 
Love them anyway. Have a great, what the hell day is it? Tuesday? It's Tuesday. Why isn't it Friday already? We'll be back to do it again tomorrow. Appreciate. We'll have, maybe we'll have some results. Maybe I'll, hell, maybe we'll have a nominee for all intents and purposes. We'll get to all that and more coming up, depending on when I can record. Uh, yeah, New Hampshire kind of waits a little while, so who knows? Anyway, we'll talk about it tomorrow. See you then. Thanks.